Brilliant. Well, as, uh, as Penny has said, we are going to be continuing looking at the psalm this morning, and we're particularly going to be looking at Psalm 90, uh, which will be great. Um, but I wanted to start with a little bit of interaction and ask you a question. I wonder if you can guess what one of the most common questions that people ask in this country is. Just have a think for a minute, and when you've got an idea, just shout it out. What the most, one of the most common questions that people might ask in this country is. Anyone, any ideas? What's the weather like? Yeah, we are British. It might revolve around the weather. Um, any other ideas? Tony? What happens when we die? Happens when we die? Yeah, okay. How are you? How are you? Yeah, I reckon that's probably pretty common. Sham? Why did God let that happen? Okay. Uh, any other ideas? One more, maybe. Go on, mate. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, if you're on a long journey. Yeah. Coming down from Chorleywood takes a little while. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Well, I think one of the most common questions that people ask is simply this. What time is it? You know, within our, our culture, we're almost always conscious of what the time is, aren't we? You know, we, we've got watches with us, or we're checking our mobile phones to make sure we know what time it is. We've got clocks on the wall everywhere we go, so we know what time is it. And if you're stopped by a stranger, they're, one of the, they're probably going to ask you one of three questions, aren't they? Have you got a light? Do you know how to get somewhere? Or what time is it? Have you got the time, mate? What time is it, please? You know, and, and every once in a while, though, in, our, in the midst of our kind of culture of clock watching, we might lose ourselves. And we lose ourselves in a hobby or a good book or a good time with friends. And, and then we suddenly realize that we haven't asked ourselves that question for a little while. We haven't asked what time is it. And we think, oh, no, I've lost track of time. Oh, no, I didn't realize what time it was. I'm going to be late. And I think that gives us a bit of a clue as to why we're always asking that question. Why we always want to know what time it is. Because we're not really interested in what the time is now. What we're actually really interested in is how much time have I got left. What we're really interested in is how much longer have I got to keep going at this job before I can clock off and go home. What I'm really interested in is, is how long is it until that exam comes. How much time have I got left to revise and to get ready and to prepare. What we're really interested in is the future. And what's coming. And the next thing that's going to happen. And making sure we're not running late for it. And here's the thing. The problem is that asking the question what time is it. Isn't the best question to ask about time. There's a better question to ask than what time is it. Or how much time have I got left. The better question to ask is what am I doing with my time. You see, you know, always checking what time is it. Is actually really just a constant reminder of our biggest problem. Time is always running away. It's always passing us by. It's running out. You know, a, a classic example of this is whenever you face a deadline. Um, I don't know if anyone's had any deadlines recently or things you've been working towards, but you're under pressure. And, and you've got to get things done before a particular date, whether it be for an exam or for a, a job interview or for an event that's coming up. And, and you know, you're clock watching. And you're clock watching constantly, checking down the amount of days, the amount of hours, the amount of minutes that you've got left to get things done feeling more and more squeezed to try and make the most of every single minute before it gets there. We're always watching how much time is it that you've got left. You know, surrounding us is a constant reminder that time is running out. We've got calendars that count down the years and the months and the days. We've we've got our, our watches and our clocks that count down the hours and the minutes. And if you've got one of those watches with a second hand, or, you know, an old grandfather clock sat there in your living room with his pendulum swinging, You know, you you can just sit there and watch or listen to suddenly life slipping away second by second, tick 
by tick by tick. You know, as we get older, life just seems to fly by quicker, doesn't it? You know, when you're young, you can't wait till your next birthday or Christmas, and it seems to take forever to get there. You're desperate to be that year older. I'm not five, I'm five and a half. I'm five and three quarters. You know, we're just desperate to be that little bit older for time to pass. But then as you get older, the years fly by. And no sooner has it been one Christmas than it's the next. And you're wanting time to, to slow down. You know, this week, um, Rosie and I celebrated something that I still find it hard to get my head around. We celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know, it seems such a short time ago that we were just preparing to get married. You know, that we were, we were just courting and getting ready and preparing. You know, it seems like only yesterday in some ways. You know, this idea that time is flying by is nothing new. It is not a, a product of our fast-paced world that we can think about. But actually, this, this idea that, that um, time is flying by is one of the key themes about time that we, we find in the Bible. Here's a couple of happy thoughts um, from the book of Job for you on time. This is what Job writes. He says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. There you go. A verse that cheers you up. Makes you feel better. Just what you wanted to hear, isn't it? He goes on. Let's try one more, see if he does better. He says, in another place, he writes, my days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Doesn't sound like a good life, does it? Reality is, though, that it's a reminder of a truth that we don't always want to be reminded of. Time is passing quickly. Life is short. And the point is that because time is inevitably slipping away second by second and minute by minute, that instead of trying to keep track of time or manage your time or be in control of time, asking what time is it and how much time have I got left, the better question to ask is how can I make the most of my time? of each minute, each hour, each day that God has given to me. So to help us wrestle with and think through how it is that we approach time, we're going to get some help from a guy called Moses uh, this morning. And most of you already know a little little bit about Moses. Uh, Moses, though, is a great person to to, to learn about time from. Gives us a good perspective on time. Uh, Moses, he was uh, born as a Hebrew. Um, and he was born as a baby as a Hebrew. But he was taken as a baby by Pharaoh's daughter and became an Egyptian. And one day in his late teens or his early 20s, he realized, I'm not an Egyptian. That's not me. I'm a Hebrew. And he looked out and he saw the Hebrews and that the Hebrews were all treated like slaves by the Egyptians. He said, that's not right. And so I've got to do something about it. So what does he decide to do? He goes off and he kills an Egyptian. And then he kills another Egyptian. And then he is chased out into the wilderness. He goes from one extreme to another. He goes from being the prince of Egypt to being a fugitive in the wilderness. And in the desert, he meets then a family of shepherds. And they hire him to look after his sheep. And then Moses, he spends the next 40 years. Now, 40 years is a pretty long time. He's already late teens, early 20s. He spends the next 40 years. So probably till he's around 60. So 40 of what most people would think were the best years of his life doing nothing. Pretty much. Every day was exactly the same. He'd wake up in the morning, and if the the sun was up, then he would be outside looking after the sheep. And if the sun was down, then he would be asleep looking after the sheep. If the sun was up, he'd be outside looking after the sheep. And if the sun was down, he would be inside asleep looking after the sheep. Day in, 
day out. He just had to look where the sun was and he knew what he needed to do. Forty years of that. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine how easy it might be that Moses might start to feel that he had no real purpose, no real future, that his life counted for nothing? What was the point? Can you imagine how easy it would be that he would just start seeing out his days, waiting until the day it was over? Waiting until the day that he died. Then after 40 years, God turns up and he says to him, he's got a plan and a purpose for his life. And he brings Moses out of the desert and he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no chance. And so God does a great miracles until Pharaoh ch- changes his mind and he releases the Israelites and Moses leads them across the Red Sea. And you've probably all heard something of that story in, in one way or another. So having reached the point where he wondered, what's the point in life? He's now on top of the world. He's back out in the wilderness again, but no sheep this time, living in a tent. But this time he's got a God-given purpose. He can see that his life is going to count for something. Problems then come when it's time for Moses to take the Israelites out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And, and the Israelites, they're scared. And they say, oh, we're not going to go. No, we're not going to go. They're big over there. I'm not having a go at them. They don't trust God. And they think that they know best, and so they choose to do things their own way. And the result is that God says, you've got another 40 years in the wilderness now, mate. So you're going to have 40 years wandering around in the wilderness until everyone over the age of 20 dies. Because you refuse to obey me. It's a fairly big consequence for choosing to live life your own way, isn't it? Rather than trusting God. So Moses, he has another 40 years in the wilderness. And in that time, he became very familiar with the truth that life is short. One person did the maths and figured out that with roughly 1 million people over the age of 20, that they would have had an average of about 70 funerals a day during those 40 years. You know, so as the nation's leader, Moses probably had to attend more funerals than he would ever care to to think about. He was surrounded by death. And you could imagine that that would lead to some serious soul-searching. You probably couldn't help but realize just how short and fragile life really is. Now, all of these experiences, they give Moses a unique perspective on time. And it's during this time that that Moses writes um, Psalm 90, his one and only psalm we're going to look at today. So um, if you want to turn to it, that's great. It'll pop up on the screen if you've not got a Bible with you, and uh, we'll read it out. This is what he says. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years without a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. 
Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You know, where I think that Moses, what Moses writes is, is so helpful is that Moses gives us a big picture perspective. A big picture perspective within which our 70 or 80 years fall. And through doing that, he helps us to understand how we can make the most of the time that we have. And in the starting point for Moses is very simple, isn't it? The starting point for Moses is that we need to understand first that God is big and then that God loves us. You know, Moses begins by saying that God has been the dwelling place for his people throughout all generations. And, and what he's really meaning there is that God has been the protector, the shelter, the comforter, the provider of his people from the beginning of time until now. You know, and as we look on through the Bible and as we think through history and we, we can share, those of us who know Jesus from our own lives, we can share that about the fact that God continues to be the protector, the comforter, the provider, the shelter within our lives. And then he goes on to give us a picture of how great our God is who loves us and protects us. He says, the one who we trust in is the one who existed before the mountains were born. He has no beginning, no end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Moses is saying it doesn't matter how far back you go in the past or how far forwards you go in the future. There is never a point where he hasn't and he will not be our great God who loves us as our protector, our comforter, our provider, our shelter. And he gives us this picture then of how, God, uh, how big God is. And he talks about how a thousand years for God are like a day, like a watch in the night. So what he's saying is that for for God, a thousand years is no more significant than yesterday was for you. That's how quickly it's been and gone. It's a tiny segment of time. In fact, a thousand years is like a watch in the night. And a watch in the night is about three or four hours. So that means that from God's perspective, the Middle Ages were about the time that you woke up this morning. And that means from God's perspective that Jesus died and was resurrected eight hours ago. Isn't that incredible? When you start to think about time from God's perspective, you start to realize how short our lives really are. Don't pull out a calculator and try and do the maths, but if a thousand years is like three or four hours, how long is your 70 years? They're gone in an instant. You know, as Moses says, our lives are like grass that, you know, spring up new in the morning, but they're dry and withered and dead by the evening. You know, the reality is that life flies by. You know, and we all experience that to some extent or another as we get older. But I want to read to you a, a poem that was written by an elderly lady in a nursing home in Scotland. And uh, some of you might have, have come across it before. But the poem was only found after her death. Um, but in it, the elderly lady demonstrates the reality that life flies by. That the, the years of our lives are short, even if we live to old age. And uh, the poem's called Crabby Old Woman. And this is what she writes. It says, what do you see, nurses? What do you see? What are you thinking when you're looking at me? A crabby old woman, not very wise, uncertain of habit with faraway eyes. 
who dribbles her food and makes no reply when you say in a loud voice, I do wish you'd try, who seems not to notice the things that you do and forever is losing a stocking or shoe, who resisting or not lets you do as you will with bathing and feeding the long day to fill. Is that what you're thinking? Is that what you see? Then open your eyes. You're not looking at me. I'll tell you who I am as I sit here so still, as I do at your bidding, as I eat at your will. I'm a small child of ten, with a father and mother, brothers and sisters who love one another. A young girl of sixteen with wings on her feet, dreaming that soon now a lover she'll meet. A bride soon, at twenty. My heart gives a leap, who need, um, remembering the vows that I promised to keep. At 25 now, I have young of my own who need me to guide and a secure, happy home. A woman of 30, my young grat now grown fast, bound to each other with ties that should last. At 40, my young sons have grown and are gone, but my man's beside me to see I don't mourn. At 50 once more, babies play round my knee. Again, we know children, my loved one and me. Dark days are upon me. My husband is dead. I look to the future, I shudder with dread. For my young of all rearing, young of their own, and I think of the years and the love that I've known. I'm now an old woman and nature is cruel. It is just to make old age look like a fool. The body, it crumbles, grace and vigor depart. There is now a stone where I once had a heart. But inside this old carcass, a young girl still dwells. And now and again, my battered heart swells. I remember the joys, I remember the pain, and I'm loving and living life over again. I think of the years, all too few, gone too fast, and accept the stark fact that nothing will last. So open your eyes. People open and see. Not a crabby old woman, but closer, see me. That's an incredibly poignant poem, isn't it? What I find amazing about it is the way which as you go through those years, each one of us can relate to them, can recognize us going through those stages and those phases in life and that shared experience that we have. But it also helps us to see that those stages race from one to another. Life is shorter than we often realize. So if God is big and God loves us and our life is so short, What does that mean for making the most of the time that we have? Does it mean that we should just give up and think, what's the point? We're here today, gone tomorrow, so I'm just going to go have fun, eat, drink, and be merry. No. Moses' point is not that your life is so short that it doesn't matter, so go and do what you like. Moses' point is that your life is so short and so brief and so quick that if you want it to have any kind of significance or meaning then you need to look beyond yourself. Your only hope for significance and for purpose is to take each moment of your life to number your days, to take your 70 to 80 years on this earth and invest them in what it is that God is doing and working at from everlasting to everlasting. For your life to have any kind of lasting significance instead of living our own way, we each need to give our lives over to God. And invest them in what it is that he's doing. No, but as Moses writes, there can be a problem with that. 
we have things that need to be dealt with in order for that to be, problem, uh, be, uh, be possible. In verse 8, he writes, You have set our iniquities, our wrongdoings, and our mistakes before you. You have set our secret sins, the things that we do wrong, that we think no one else knows about in the light of your presence. You know, the reality is that no matter how good a life that we live, or how well we might be able to hide the wrong things that we do from other people, or even from ourselves, that we all fall short of God's standard. We all fall short of perfection. And it can be easy to think, well, I'm trying to be a good person, so surely that's enough, isn't it? Now, I know I've used this analogy in the past, but I think it's so helpful for understanding what what sin really is. You see, back in the Middle Ages, if an archer missed the target, they would call that shot a sin. And it it didn't matter if if they'd been foolish enough to pick up the bow, pull it back, know the target's there, and turn around and shoot in that direction. Or if they'd been trying their absolute best to hit the target and missed it just by an inch. Either way, the shot was still called a sin. And in the same way for us, it doesn't matter if we've been trying to live in life in, in direct rebellion to God, knowing what we do is wrong and not caring about it. Or if we've been trying our absolute best to live life as good people, but we've just kind of slipped up and made one or two mistakes along the way. Either way, in God's eyes, we've missed the target. Whether it's an inch or a mile, it's still a sin. And when we might try and, uh, and hide those mistakes hide those wrong things from other people. Well, we might even try to avoid facing up to them ourselves. God sees every single one of them. And here's the thing. In verses 11 to 12, Moses says, If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What Moses is saying is we don't know. We don't understand the power of God's anger. We don't understand how our wrongdoings anger God and the consequences that they have. Moses is saying, if only we could see God for who he really is, understand how great he is, how powerful he is, understand that he's from everlasting to everlasting, and understand the consequences of the wrong things that we do and how they anger God and they separate us from him then we would give him the reverence that he is due. Then we would realize that we are weak. We would realize how serious the wrong things that we do are. And we would cry out to God for help. If we really saw and encountered God, then we would take our 70 to 80 years and then we would give them to him. We would give them to him as his due. Because he deserves them. Because he's great. Because he's mighty. Because he's from everlasting to everlasting. But we'd also give them to them. Because we would understand that without him, they are pointless. And it's only as we give our 70 to 80 years over to God that they become worthwhile and can count for something. Now, if we could see the glory of God, then we would say to God, take my life. Use it however you want to. I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've made. I want to turn my life around now and live for you. You're deserving of all of my life, so I give it gladly now. Help me to number my days, to realize how short life really is, that I make the most of my time, that I make decisions not just based on my short, brief little life and, and having some comfort and enjoyment and the things that I want within it, 
that I make my decisions based on who you are on your plan and your purpose, so that I'm investing in eternity from everlasting to everlasting. You know, when we have this big picture perspective on time, we won't be going around through life asking what time is it anymore. We won't be going through life asking how long have I got left. The only question we'll be asking is how can I make the most of my time? How can I invest in God's plan and purposes right here and right now? Now, one of the brilliant things about Psalm 90 is, is the way that it ends. And Penny mentioned uh, one of the verses earlier on. But Moses is, is writing in a situation where he's recognizing that the nation of Israel have sinned. They've rebelled against God. They've refused to trust him. And they, they were thinking that they, they, they knew best. They chose to go their own way. He knows that they're facing God's anger and the consequences of disobeying God in this time. And so Moses prays that God would have compassion and mercy on his people, that he would satisfy them with his unfailing love, that he would establish the work of their hands. And the amazing news is that we have in Jesus God's answer to that prayer. You know, in answer to this prayer, God has made a way for us to receive his mercy and his compassion, to receive his forgiveness for the wrong things that we've done. He's made it possible for us to be forgiven by choosing to send Jesus to take the punishment on the cross and to die in our place so that we can have a fresh start and be freed from guilt. He has promised that as we put our trust in him, he will be our dwelling place, he will be our comforter, he will be our protector, he will be our provider, he will be our shelter. That as we trust in him, we will experience and know his love within our lives. He has promised that as we give our lives over to him and as we stop saying, I'm going to live for myself, and we start saying, I'm going to live to please you, Jesus. I want to live my life in a way that pleases you. I want to give you my 70 to 80 years. What will happen is that we will be satisfied in his love. We will have a joy within our hearts that rises up to make us sing. He has promised that as we give him every moment of our time, that he will make our lives count. Not just right now, but for all eternity. That he will establish the works of our hands, the works of our lives, so that they won't be futile or pointless or passing but so that he will be at work in and through us. So that even though we might not understand it right now, that when we get to heaven, we would receive a reward and God would show us and we would see how he's been at work through everything. All along. You know, our lives might be short. But you know what? If we give our lives to God, they can also be great. Not because of who we are, but because our God is great. And our God loves us. So when it comes to answering the question, how can I make the most of my time? What Moses helps us to understand is that to make the most of our time, we need to keep our focus on who God is, how big he is, how great he is, how much he loves us. And in contrast to that, how small we are. To make the most of our time, we need to understand that we cannot spend our lives living for ourselves. And just doing the things that we want to do. And that are going to make us happy in that instant or that moment. Because the value of our life then just becomes like some grass that grows in the morning and dies by the night. To make the most of our time, our lives, for our lives to be maximized. We need to turn away from the wrong things in our lives. We need to give every moment 
of our time to the purposes of God. You know, God has a purpose for you and he has a purpose for me. And the purpose that he has for us is bigger than anything we could ever do on our own. He invites us, this is incredible, God invites you to join with him in his work so that your life would count for all eternity. He has a purpose for you that will have an impact on eternity. I don't know about you, but I think that's exciting. That God doesn't have a purpose for you that's just going to last for your life, or maybe last for a couple of generations longer if you're a particularly you know, brilliant person. But he has a purpose for you that will last an impact on eternity. I've got a couple of practical things to finish with that I want you to just encourage you to respond to. So firstly, I just want you to ask yourself that question. How am I making the most of my time right now? What is it that I'm prioritizing? What is it that I'm spending my time on? Because every second that I have, once it's spent, I don't get it back. It's gone. You know, I know how easy it can be in life to become overloaded with jobs and things to do and just trying to keep up with everything and all the busyness. And the problem is that when we become so busy that we're overloaded, do you know what happens? All we can think about is ourselves. All we can think about are our deadlines and our problems and the things that we've got to do. And anything else which comes along is just gets in the way. You end up in survival mode just trying to get through another day. I know because I've been there. And when that's the case, as much as we might hate it, what happens is we stop being available to God. It means that when you sense God prompting you to, to, go, uh, to go and do something or to speak to someone or whatever it is, to get involved in a particular ministry, your first response isn't, amazing, I get an opportunity to invest in eternity and make an impact that will last for eternity. Your first response is, oh no, another thing to do. Another thing I've got to try and fit in. And we end up either resenting the opportunities that God gives us Or we end up squeezing them out entirely and being close to them altogether. Now, if you are living life in survival mode at the moment, then I want to encourage you that you don't have to live life that way. And God doesn't want you to live life that way. You know, we all have busy seasons and that's fine, I understand that. But if you know that actually this is a long-term issue for you, this isn't just a, a busy week, but actually this is a lifestyle. Then I want to encourage you to ask God what it is that you can stop doing what it is that you can change, what decisions that you can make differently so that you create space in your schedule so that you're no longer in survival mode, so that you have the opportunity to be available to God and when he speaks to you, you can get excited. Because when God speaks to you, it is exciting. You can be excited about the opportunities that he brings your way. Okay, so the first thing is ask yourself that question, how am I making the most of my time? How am I ensuring I'm available to God? so that I can invest in eternity. Second thing then is I want um, to you, um, is if you know that you have been um, living life, and you've been living life with, with secret sin, you know that you've been missing the target and you've been trying to avoid facing up to that fact. Or you've felt God convicting you today that you need to admit your mistakes as you've understood that, that actually the way in which it causes and the consequence of what it is we do, the anger of God and the way it separates us from him. 
that you need Jesus in your life, then I want to give you an opportunity to, to confess that and to do that this morning. You know, it might be that, um, that coming to God this morning and just telling him what it is that you've done wrong and asking him for his help and, and bringing him into your life is something that you've never done before and it's the first time you've done it. Or it might be that you're coming back to God this morning as, as you've realized that you've allowed things to get in the way again. But either way, I want you to know that God's forgiveness is available to you today, that God loves you, that no matter what it is that you have done, no matter how many times it is that you may have found yourself in this same place again and again and been doing it, that God's love goes deeper than that. He is able to reach into the deepest pit and lift you out. He loves you and his forgiveness is available. A fresh start is available today, free from guilt. And he wants to draw you into relationship with him in a way where you can experience and know him as your dwelling place, as your protector, as the one who cares for you. He wants to draw you into a relationship with him in a way where you know how his love satisfies you and you have that joy that rises up within. He wants to draw you into a relationship with him in a way which means that you know that your life counts for something and it has meaning. 